0: Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click Join Us, and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive, uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. You know what I've found in all my years of covering the news and traveling the world? I've found that the world is mostly boring, that mostly things don't happen. Life's routine. People wake up, they have coffee, they go to work. And typically, these big, crazy stories are extremely rare. Yeah, life is fairly boring. Even in places where there's been great turmoil and civil unrest, the moments, those flashpoints, they're actually not as crazy as people think they are, albeit they are crazy, right? I'll give you an example the Ferguson riots. I'm sure if you read the history books on the Ferguson riots, you're going to be like, wow, and you're imagining this craziness, this chaos. Yeah, it was like, half a city block. Now, don't get me wrong. When they started burning down buildings, it stretched all down this road for a couple blocks. There was a lot of violence and everything. But it was interesting to talk to locals who are like, it's the weirdest thing to see on the news, to hear the story about this great calamity and this great chaos. And then if you actually live in the area, you're like, it's just, you know, 100, 200 people on this one city street. I'm like, yeah, that's what it's always been. It has never been these great conflicts of Hundreds of thousands of people smashing into things. Now, I think it's fair to point out the summer of love was fairly crazy. And we did see escalation. And it is very possible that in the future, we will see a major flashpoint with big, big, big news stories. My point is simply this. Through the lens of the media, stories are substantially crazier than they really appear in real life. Take, for instance, this story. Oh, boy. Everyone's already calling this one a false flag. There's a lot of context around this one, but let me read you the news. Man with Nazi flag is charged with threatening to kill President Biden after he crashed a U-Haul truck into White House security gates before Secret Service took him into custody. Man with a Nazi flag. Now, if you tell someone that story, the way it's framed in their mind, they're imagining some crazy guy waving a flag, slamming into the gates, being like, you actually watch the video. You're like, what? (laughs) what is this? The truck is going less than a mile an hour. It gets stuck on a curb and just shakes a little bit. Then the police come and they pull out a pristine Nazi flag and lay it on the ground for everybody to see. And it's just like, why would they do that? What is this even? I'll tell you what I think right now. A lot of people are saying it's a false flag attack. And I'm like, well, I don't know about all that. I mean, it's crazy. People do crazy things. Some people are wondering why are you all truck? What was in it? sometimes crazy people do crazy things. I can only tell you that this shouldn't be news. That's all I can say. So for the people who are like, it's a false flag, I mean, maybe the reason they feel that way is, why is it news that a guy in a U-Haul truck jumped the curb by two feet and then stopped? Like nothing happened. The fascinating thing to me is this story is traveling further. Already than when far leftists tried destroying St. John's Church set fire to guard posts at the White House, forced the president underground into a bunker, tore down the barricades of the White House. And I'm like, y'all remember when that happened? Huh. Well, here we are. The man who has not yet been named crashed into the White House barrier. He is now charged with trying to kidnap or kill a president. What? Really? What did he even do? I think I got a photo. Do I have the photo up here? We have a statement from this guy. Okay, here's the photo. So, It hits the barricades, it jumps the curb and just stops. That's it. I mean, you watch the video and I was just like, huh? And then you can see the police then pull out a Nazi flag and lay it on the ground. I'm like, huh? Why would you do any of this? I don't know. We have this tweet from Gain of Fauci, and this seems to be the sentiment spreading on Twitter. He says, the feds, we need a false flag attack tonight. This is coming straight from the top. Dude, it's midnight. I know. I'm sorry, but we got to pull it off somehow. What do you got? Mm, well, I just helped my mom move. I have a fresh U-Haul truck handy. Okay, nice. I have a Nazi flag myself. Are you thinking what I am? The standard U-Haul wreck near the White House. And then we happen to find, I mean, uh, my, I mean, their Nazi flag inside the cab. You know it, man, we make a good team. That is uh, the, the the perspective that is spreading on Twitter. Here's another one. They are claiming that this Nazi flag was pulled from the cab of the U-Haul truck that lightly crashed near the white house i'm not making this up here's the video let's uh let's let's play the video that's it this is this is it watch that's that's all that happened that's the whole thing now look i get it here's what i think maybe I, I, like if i was going to if i did talk probabilities the probability that the feds staged a guy in a U-Haul with a Nazi flag, slim. You know, I know a lot of people are like, the feds do this stuff all the time. I'm like, yeah, the problem is you're assuming who did it. Maybe, like, for all we know, this guy, the, the, I'll, I'll put it this way: it is more likely this guy just did it. The next most likely thing is it's a lefty or liberal because we know about, like, say, like the Justice Smollett hoax, and it was just a hoax. Because the left is all the time. And then, you know, somewhere in there, it's like, yeah, a PSYOP, I guess, maybe. Look, I'm not, I'm not interested in believing any story until I get evidence. But this just doesn't seem like it really rises to the occasion of news. But here's what I do think is pretty crummy. The fact that this happened, it doesn't matter whether the U-Haul was going a mile an hour or 100 miles an hour. It doesn't matter whether or not the, uh, the guy had a flag Um, bundled up and the cops hit it or not. None of that matters. When people are like, oh, they just laid the flag out on the ground. None of that matters. In fact, that's bad for them. If you wanted to stage a false flag attack, you wouldn't lay the flag out on the ground. You wouldn't need to. You would just say it happened. That's all that matters. People are going to hear this story. They're going to tell this story. I know that if I go to the poker tables, if I go out to a bar, people are going to be like, did you hear about that Nazi guy who slammed into the White House? Like, whoa, what's happening? because they're not going to see the video. They're going to hear the story. And maybe that's enough. Now, again, as to who did it, this guy, they arrested him. We'll see who he is. We'll find out. I think a lot of people got to be careful because they a lot of people want to just outright believe, oh, it's a false flag attack. And the government did it. And I'm like, dude, they're going to release this guy's name. And then you're going to be like, oh, it, it actually did happen. And it actually was just some crazy guy. I guess I'll put it this way. There are more crazy people than I believe there are feds. You know what I mean? Like you think the FBI did or these people on Twitter are saying that. And I'm like, there's more crazy political people in the United States than there are law enforcement. I talk about it all the time. New York City's got more protesters than they do have police. There's hundreds of thousands of people in the city who hold this sentiment and will march. We have seen tens of thousands of people march uh, and riot. And then there's only like tens of thousands of cops. You have you have a lot of crazy people. And then I'll put it this way, of the cops who actually work intelligence or counter intelligence and things like that, that would ever be involved in something, it's only like a few thousand. My point is, probability is a crazy guy did a crazy thing. You know, we'll see. We'll see, I suppose. There were no injuries to any Secret Service or White House personnel, and the cause and manner of the crash remain under investigation. Anthony Guglielmi, chief of communications for the Secret Service, right on Twitter. Now, here's my favorite part. You know, I got a decent memory. And I know who Anthony Guglielmi is. As soon as I saw this, I was like, wait, what? Wait, hold hold on. Anthony Guglielmi, chief of communications for the Secret Service. What's he doing talking about this? You know why? He's the Jesse Smollett guy. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) And then I tweet that and people are like, you think it's a false flag? And I'm like, I didn't say that. I just pointed out that's the Jesse Smollett guy. So look at this story. 2019. Empire star Justice Millett attackers yelled, this is MAGA country during beating. Look how they reported this. And like nothing happened. I mean, well, we know this was, this was a hoax. Take a look at this. Chica- Chicago police say they're still searching for the assailants who attacked Empire star Justice Mallet in what chief communications officer Anthony Guglielmi says they're investigating as a possible hate crime. Wednesday evening, Guglielmi said police have established potential persons of interest in the assault. He added that a community alert with photos is being constructed. And we'll be disseminated shortly. Now, look, I just thought maybe it's a it's a it's a different googly on I don't know. And then I looked it up and sure enough, the pictures all look like the same guy. So I'll just put it put it at that. I think it's absolutely hilarious. The spokesperson from the Jussie Smollett story is now the spokesperson talking about this crash at the White House. Now, I don't know if the U-Haul had anything in it. Apparently, it didn't. But people are pointing out how weird it is that authorities found the Nazi flag and then laid it out perfectly for everyone to see. Why would they do that? I mean, yeah, just because they did, though, isn't evidence that that, that there's a hoax or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like laying this out is not proof it was a hoax. I don't blame people for just completely disbelieving a story that is on par with justice Smollett. Like, i like to point out, who is it that carries around this stuff? Like, even Antifa isn't going to, like, put an Antifa flag in their car when they go and do these things. They just wear hoodies. But I guess you white supremacists really want everybody to know what they think, huh? The driver may have intentionally struck the security barriers. He added in a second tweet. Some roads and walkways around Lafayette Square were temporarily closed, as the scene was inspected. The Washington Post also reported that the nearby Hay Adams Hotel was evacuated. Now, did they evacuate these hotels when the far left tore down the barricades of the White House, set fire to St. John's Church? Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't remember seeing the news about it, to be fair. So uh, it was an empty U-Haul truck. Okay. Officials at the scene investigate the contents of the box truck and apparently found a Nazi flag in the vehicle. Oh, how convenient. Footage from a local photojournalist showed a law enforcement officer folding up the flag, which had been spread out on the ground in public view. Even they like, why did that happen? Why? It's just so weird. Officers retrieved the flag and plastic evidence bags that had been laid out on the sidewalk following the crash and placed them in the back of a U-Haul. A remote-controlled robot pried open the truck's rear door, revealing a dolly, but no other obvious cargo. The Secret Service released the following statement. Shortly before 10 p.m. Monday, Secret Service uniformed division officers detained the driver of a box truck after the vehicle collided with security barriers on the north side of Lafayette Square on 16th Street. We don't know that this person had any ill intentions. He just hit barricades. Maybe the guy was just out of his mind. I have no idea. Anthony Guglielmi says, uh, yeah, that, that's basically what he said. There were no injuries to any Secret Service or House personnel. And the cause and manner of the crash remain under investigation. Road closures are in effect, and pedestrian walkways are closed as we investigate. The truck has been deemed safe. Preliminary investigation reveals a driver may have intentionally struck the security barriers at Lafayette Square. Charges will be filed by the U.S. Park Police with investigative support from the Secret Service. We have this from Twitchy. People are already calling this alleged U-Haul attack near the White House a false flag. Breaking U-Haul uh, this coverage tonight, stay with Fox News. Secret Service is using a robot to search a U-Haul truck. U-Haul truck crashed. The evacuation of multiple buildings makes sense as a precaution. A similar sized rider truck was used in the Oklahoma City bombing. You want to know where it starts to get interesting? Not that um, I think it's a false flag or anything. People are pointing this out. But it starts to get interesting when we get to, where's the story at? Do I have that pulled up? I think I, do I not have it pulled up? Oh, here we go. Sorry. 60,000 pounds of an explosive chemical lost during rail shipment. This is actually kind of freaky. I don't know. I'm not saying it has anything to do with each other. But what people are pointing out on Twitter is that, hey, wait a minute, a box truck just slams into the security barricades. News reports from just the other day, May 22nd, show that 60,000 pounds of an explosive chemical are lost. And now people are concerned there could be a false flag. I got another thing to be concerned about. There could literally just be a terror attack, right? I don't need to jump the gun on who or or, uh, why this is going to happen. I think first and foremost, if 60,000 pounds of an explosive chemical are lost, my first fear is not a false flag attack to smear uh, a group of people. My first concern is, yo, where are those explosives? Where's that explosive chemical? That's freaky. Like, I don't care if it's a false flag or not. The idea that someone could get a bunch of explosive fertilizers or something and then do something bad with it is a bad thing. I do think it's kind of silly to immediately just jump and be like, we know who would do it if they did, instead of just being like, yo, someone may do this, please, how about we stop this? And I guess the idea that people are posting is, first you get the box truck with the Nazi flag in it, then you get 60,000 pounds of explosive chemical going missing. That way, when something does happen, they'll say, see, remember when that Nazi guy attacked the White House? See, remember when that chemicals went missing? This proves it. Sure, I don't know. How about we just don't let it happen? If right now we know the chemicals are missing, if right now we know that a guy with a Nazi flag, I'm going to tell it like this. I got no evidence to suggest it's a false flag. I think crazy people sometimes do crazy things. I think we should investigate, figure out who this guy is and get some motivations. And then I'll add this. If anything does happen, if there is an explosion at this point. I got to blame the DOJ. You knew about the missing chemicals. You knew about these motivations. How about you up security right now to prevent something from happening? Because the potential exists. And if you can't prevent this, even after knowing of the risks, I blame you. And don't get me wrong. First and foremost, I blame the perpetrators always. But I think if I got to put it, I got to put it this way. Knowing about this and knowing about this attack. If the DOJ, if federal law enforcement can't prevent it or investigate it, we got to defund these guys. We got to absolutely defund these guys. You know, look, Donald Trump is talking about defunding the DOJ. We got Axios here, his, his grand vision. They say that, uh, where where is it at? Is it in here somewhere? That Donald Trump wants to, uh, he wants the DOJ to investigate Big pharma. No, that's not, there we go, there we go. Uh, he said he wants to uh, uh, defund the Justice Department and the FBI. That might have been an exaggeration, but Trump does want his brand of politics to reshape the Justice Department. Okay, let me tell you this. We spend a lot of money on these stories, right? I'm sorry, on this this law enforcement. We spend a a lot of money on this law enforcement to prevent, to stop terror and crime. If we can't, why are we spending money on it? Maybe we need to reassess and go the minimalist route. Maybe we need more of personal responsibility and less of absolving ourselves of responsibility. That is to say, if we know right now that 60,000 pounds of an explosive chemical have gone missing, if the feds can't figure out what happened, if the feds knowing an extremist just rammed the barricades, if they don't do anything to up security and stop this before it happens, for what reason are we paying them money? So this is the opportunity here. The worst possible thing, in my opinion, for these people and the narrative that should be set is now that we we all know of the risks. If the feds cannot do their job because the general public knows. Then they should be completely defunded. I suppose the argument people are making is that the reason for the false flag is to justify the funding for the DOJ. I think it's the opposite. I think the public opinion should be the opposite. People are pointing out, we just had these FBI whistleblowers testify before Congress. And there's been talk of defunding the FBI when all of a sudden this false flag happens. And it's like, oh, now we need the FBI. If they stop this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. So let's see if that is what happens. If they arrest the guy and they can prove, and it's not some weird story where it was like a like an FBI informant, I'll be like, well, you know, I got to give him that one. With like the Whitmer case, it turns out almost all the people are informants. Too much of what the FBI does is create the problem and then try and then claim they solved it. So if this stuff's missing and you can prove someone did take it and, and or maybe they're completely unrelated. That's, that's my point. Completely unrelated. But if they can actually say, here's the guy at the White House, here's his background and we see no connection. It really just was a crazy guy. And it's not even the FBI involved. It's Parks Police. I'll say, like, you know, I appreciate law enforcement stopping a crazy person like this. I appreciate that we invest in these security measures. I don't completely trust these people. I think they're incompetent. We should figure out where the explosives have gone. They say, say 60,000 pounds of a chemical used as both a fertilizer, what is it, ammonium nitrate? Or, yep, ammonium nitrate. And an explosive is missing after likely appearing during a rail trip from Wyoming to California last month, according to federal records. A rail car carrying ammonium nitrate left a plant operated by explosives manufacturer Dino Nobel. In, che- uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, on April 12th, according to the incident report filed on May 10th. The report states the chemical was released due to an unknown cause and was discovered missing after the rail car arrived in Saltdale, California. This reminds me of Breaking Bad when what was it, what was it, what, they were trying to steal, like, methylamine or whatever, and they have, like, the train stop and then they pump it out. What a fun show. If the feds can't figure out what happened to this, what are we paying them for? So. This is the big test. If something bad happens, an actual terror attack using this by some Nazi, I think that's all the evidence we need that the FBI has failed and we got to defund them and, and, and figure out something different. Maybe focus more on local efforts. Maybe the federal enforcement should be more coordinating instead of actually having an arm like the FBI doesn't do the investigation. They just coordinate between offices to help facilitate communications. If they do stop this, then there is no attack. We figure out who did it. We get an investigation and we say, "Okay, here are the people who did it. I can respect that. But I got to tell you, I'm not confident. I'm not I'm not confident at all in in federal law enforcement. I think they have no trust. I think right now the public wants them defunded. And then the argument, I suppose, would be that even if they do solve this and figure out who took it and it turns out to be a nothing burger. Let's say the, 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 it just got dropped on the ground and it's like, oh, it was a big mistake because it's a big stretch of land. Maybe it just fell off. Let's say they discover that. We say, OK, good job. I don't think anybody cares one way or the other. I think general sentiment is no matter what, we should be defunding the, this organization. They don't do anything of substance. I think one of the best things for the FBI was the X-Files. Like I, I know it sounds silly, but I mean it because it created this perception that they do something. And there are some stories that I think are really good. Smaller local, uh, 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 I should say, smaller level FBI offices. They do investigate a lot of crimes for real. I have met people who actually do good work, former FBI as well. People you probably know and like who are commentators. It's the D.C. politicized offices that we do not trust. It's the higher levels. And it's the weaponization of law enforcement at the federal level that we don't trust. I just think maybe we need to get back to the local effort, right? Right. They say in 2020, it was a source of a colossal explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. Yeah, that was an accident. I think it was like a warehouse exploded or something like that. I can't remember. Just give it a little fuel and you're asking for trouble, they say. Sure. People are connecting the dots on these stories. I don't see a reason to connect the dots. I do think it's always fine to point out, like, let's keep an eye on this. If there's crazy people doing crazy things and explosives are missing, we have a serious potential. But why couldn't I just come out and be like, maybe it was Antifa stole the 60,000 pounds. Right, if it's speculation, it's speculation. My point is simply we don't know, we don't know who's doing it or why they're doing it or what happened. For all we know, the train busted and it just poured out over several dozen miles. Right, the train's going and then it starts just like falling at the bottom of the train. Who knows? I don't like connecting the dots where dots need not be connected without direct evidence. So what I can say is the story of the guy crashing into the barricades and just happening to have a Nazi flag is absolutely silly. But sometimes stupid people do stupid things and that could involve a false flag or otherwise. Here's what I think is important. You know about these things. We don't jump to conclusions, but we know about these things, and then we keep an eye on, if what, happen, on, on what happens in the future. If something happens and connects the dots, it'll be important that we did watch this stuff. I also think it's very hilarious that Anthony Guglielmi was the Jesse Smollett uh, cop, and now he's this cop too. I'm not saying it means anything. I just think it's funny. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. The West was warned by Vladimir Putin that he would use all available means to protect his country. The West was warned. He said he wasn't bluffing. We've seen the positioning of nuclear weapons in Belarus or the plan to deploy them. We have seen the Russians state that they will use nukes if Russia is threatened, if there's an existential threat to this country. We now have many more opinions that we are in World War Three popping up on the Internet as news breaks that the escalation of war into Russia is getting worse. From the Daily Mail, Moscow running scared. Kremlin evacuates nine border villages and admits there is cause for serious concern as pro-Ukraine fighters capture territory within Russia's Belgorod region. Two groups of anti-Kremlin Russian troops have launched attacks on Russian soil. Belgorod was hit by drone strikes overnight and several settlements were seized. The question is, are these Ukrainian forces? Are these concerned partisan Russians fighting against Vladimir Putin? Could be. Could be all of it, to be honest. Some have expressed concern that the attack in Russia is the result of Western intelligence An insurgency. While many others say these are pro, pro these these are these are anti-Putin Russians. They love Russia. They defend Russia, but they don't like Vladimir Putin, and they want to put an end to that regime. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly—it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com/slash AI for all. All of this can be true. Individuals within Russia, obviously, sentiment isn't 100% in favor of the war that's going on. So you will get dissidents, you will get partisans. They need only materials to fight, and now you have willing fighters. I'd be willing to bet that the individuals staging the conflict in, in Russia are Russian and they're supported by the West. Why wouldn't they be? The scary thing is, if the West has decided, if NATO, the United States, to put pressure on Russia to actually stage attacks using Russian partisans or any means, honestly, that's it. That's World War III. Russia is not going to just sit there as nine border villages are evacuated due to war reaching into their borders. And you know what? It doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter if this was Western forces masquerading as Russians. It doesn't matter if the videos are all fake. It doesn't matter if Vladimir Putin staged a false flag. What matters is the story, the narrative. It exists. Russia was attacked. If Russia is staging a false flag, they'll use this as a casus belli, as a cause for war to, ex- to accelerate and to escalate. And if it is a legitimate attack on Russia, it'll be even worse. There's a lot to go through here. Let's read this story from the Daily Mail first. Russian authorities have ordered residents of nine villages in the Belgorod region bordering Ukraine to evacuate their homes after anti-Putin rebel groups began capturing territory on Russian soil. The Kremlin's order comes hours after a pair of explosions rang out in the city of Belgorod overnight amid drone attacks in the FSB Security Service building. And Interior Ministry offices, regional governor, Vyaches- I'm always bad with pronouncing these names, Vyacheslav Gladkov, confirmed the aerial bombing raid had caused fires at government buildings and urged citizens to take shelter amid the rebel attacks. Ukrainian military intelligence said two armed Russian opposition groups, the Freedom of Russian Legion, and the Russian Volunteer Corps, were behind the biggest armed incursion into Russian territory since Putin's invasion of its neighbor, Ukraine, recognized as a serious cause of concern by the Kremlin. The attack was seemingly unexpected, with the rebels able to gain control of several Russian towns in a matter of hours. They say an anti-Kremlin volunteer fighter is pictured alongside a captured Russian armored personnel carrier. Got a bunch of photos here. Let me show you the map of the uh, the region. We have Belgorod, Russia. I'm going to zoom in here. Let's, let's p- close that. You can see just north of Kharkiv is Belgorod. So apparently what's happening now, if we were to trust the sources, military forces in Russia, anti-Putin, anti-Kremlin, but Russian are staging, staging this combat. Now, depending on who you ask, you'll get different answers. Obviously, Russia is going to say that these are Ukrainians supported by the West, uh, supported by the West, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's read more. The U.S.-based think tank, the Institute for the Study of War, which is tracking the conflict, said a detachment of Russian rebels consisting of two ranks, an armored personnel car- uh, carrier and nine other armored vehicles crossed the international border and captured Kazinka, a settlement of the Gry- Gryvoron region of the Belgorod Oblast. Several Russian sources claimed the grouping, then captured the settlements of Glatovo and Goropodol. While the majority of the Russian military uh, commentators responded with relatively varied concern, anxiety and anger, the information space did not coalesce around one coherent response, which indicates first and foremost that the attack took Russian commentators by surprise. The Freedom of Russia Legion is a Ukraine based Russian militia led by Russian opposition figure Ilya Ponomarev that says it is working inside Russia for Putin's overthrow. It said on Twitter that it had completely liberated the border town of Kozinka and forward units had reached the district center of Gryvoron, further east. Moving on, Russia will be free, it wrote. Yesterday, the group shared a video on social media in which a handful of soldiers vowed to liberate their homeland from Putin's autocratic rule, while other clips showed anti-Putin rebels posing with flags in front of Russian road signs calling for an end to the Kremlin's dictatorship. I think this is inevitable. And I do think it is extremely likely and very plausible that there are Russians who are fighting back against Putin. This dude has been in power for decades. It was only a matter of time. Whether you like the guy or not, there is sentiment from people in Russia very much opposed to Vladimir Putin with the expansion of war on their border. I am not surprised to see this is the news. Sky.com says, did pro-Ukrainian fighters capture a Russian town? What's happening in Belgorod? As smoke is seen rising inside the Russian border, questions still abound about what exactly has happened and who was behind it. We don't know for sure. But upon Googling the story, I saw this from the website ResponsibleStateCraft.org. I'm not familiar with this website. I don't know much about them. I don't know much about its writer. But they say the West must prepare for Putin to use nukes in Ukraine, why a former U.S. defense attaché to Russia believes Moscow is poised to reach for the ultimate weapon. The reason I'm showing this is, far be it from me to just espouse my opinion, I'll back it up with the opinions of others, not that I'm saying that's absolute definitive proof of anything, but that I'm not the only one who thinks Vladimir Putin will use nuclear weapons. I am not saying he will launch intercontinental ballistic missiles or multiple independently targeted reentry vehicles of 12, 12, warheads peppering the eastern seaboard and wiping out a good portion of the American people. I'm not saying that at all. And I, I mean that seriously. I don't I don't think that's likely right now. What I think will happen is Putin will say, turn them to glass. He will drop nuclear artillery, small, lower yield nuclear weapons in in Ukraine, especially if there are forces conquering cities seizing cities in russia now is the most dangerous time vladimir putin looks at this and says if we are going to stop them from moving into our territory we need to flatten them in theirs nuclear artillery here's my concern the west says we want to win this war here's a tactic we can use surge into russia forcing a retreat and then we put the fight the fight into russia If you've ever played any first person shooter video game, which I'm sure many of you have a team based shooter or uh, something like that, Call of Duty, um, to an extent has things similar to this or Overwatch, you know, in in these games, if you're fighting on a line, you're not taking the, the, the territory you need. If you surge past the opponent to their territory, you force them to retreat. This could be the tactic with the attack in Belgorod. And then, of course, Vladimir Putin responds in kind by one upping the ante. If you are sending your people into our territory to fight and take our cities, we can ignore it and push forward. But then our cities are being laid uh, laid siege. So what do they do? I think we're dangerously close to him saying, give him a small taste, low yield nuclear artillery, flatten one area in this war. And that would cause a very, very decisive retreat. And how would the U.S. respond? This is the danger. I do not believe that the West is capable of retaliating against Putin for the use of tactical nuclear artillery. Or I should say, I I I should just say nuclear artillery because I don't want to confuse the issue with tactical nukes and strategic nukes and et cetera. Here's the issue. There was a question raised about should Vladimir Putin use nukes? What would the West do? And many people said mutually assured destruction. No, maybe that applies to if he fires a nuke at D.C. or something. But if he uses low yield nuclear weapons in Ukraine to seize territory, no one would sacrifice a town in Europe, a city for Ukraine. That was what they uh, many advisors had said, many, many commentators in Europe. They said, you really think Belgium is going to risk a nuclear strike over Ukraine? Nope. If Putin retaliates with nuclear artillery in Ukraine, that's the extent of it. And there's nothing anyone else can do. Now, you'll get rallying cries. You may get formal declarations of war. You may see a surge of Western power into Ukraine. But no one in the EU or the US will accept the use of nuclear weapons for the sake of Ukraine. If it uh, retaliation, if it means we get nuked. Now, I'll tell you my bigger fear false flags The most effective thing Vladimir Putin could actually do is stage an attack on his own cities. What if these attacks by these anti-Kremlin Russians, they're actually Russians working for Putin? And now he has a casus belli. The West is supporting an invasion of our homeland, please people of Russia stand up. And then he can go to China he can go to other countries, Iran, and say, it's after us, it's you. And then what? That's the scary thing. Responsible Statecraft writes, since Russia invaded Ukraine last February, President Vladimir Putin has repeatedly suggested that he could use nuclear weapons in the conflict. In September, the Russian leader declared that he wasn't afraid to use all all the means available to us to win the war. I'm not bluffing, Putin added. These declarations have at times been met with actions that imply Putin is preparing to launch tactical nukes. Last month, the Kremlin announced that it planned to deploy such weapons in Belarus, placing them in close proximity to the front lines in Ukraine. These nuclear threats have set up a torrent of debate over whether Putin would really cross the Rubicon and make Russia the second country to ever employ the ultimate weapon on the battlefield. Many analysts argue that the threatening moves are meant to deter deeper Western involvement in the conflict. Though they disagree over whether and how to call the Russian leader's bluff, but Brigadier General Kevin Ryan, retired, sees things different differently. For Ryan, the question is not a matter of if, but when Putin will reach for the nuclear button. In a recent article for Russia Matters, the former U.S. defense attaché to Moscow argued that with options for conventional escalation disappearing, the Kremlin is all but certain to resort to nuclear use. I agree. I'm not if am not an attache or anything like that. I'm just some dude who's reading the Internet. But I see this stuff and I'm like, that's what it seems like to me. This guy knows way better than I do, Brigadier General Kevin Ryan. And if he says that. I am like, hey, man, my biases point in that direction, too. Is this guy wrong? Perhaps confirmation bias is a real thing. I'm certainly not reading the news articles where they say it'll never happen, am I? I'm reading the guy who says a thing that I already agree with. So, so, so I, I'm, I'm telling you that because maybe things do not get worse. They say responsible statecraft spoke with Ryan, who is now a senior fellow at Harvard University's Belfer Center, to learn more about why he believes Putin will use a tactical nuke against Ukraine. He says, at its most basic level, when Ukraine mounts, it's counteroffensive. If they have significant success in taking back territory that Russia has occupied, then the Russian military will be expected to escalate their operations to prevent that or to counter that. Putin will demand it. This article is from yesterday. We got news yesterday about Belgorod. I wonder if this crosses that line. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. We're moving in that direction. Washington Post says anti-Putin militias mount cross-border incursion in Western Russia. I don't believe the Washington Post. So when they say anti-Putin militias, partisans, I think, Western funded insurgency. I could be wrong. I don't know. Belgorod governor urges uh, Graveron residents not to return home from CNN. Anti-Putin Russians say they launched a cross-border attack from Ukraine. Here's what we know. From BBC, Belgorod raid insurgents defeated after rare cross-border incursion. And this is one of the latest updates. They say, Armed insurgents who crossed the border from Ukraine to launch attacks in Russia's Belgrade region have been defeated, Moscow says. And now, this is the BBC reporting this definitively. Villages in the border region were evacuated after coming under sustained shellfire. Russia says that 70 of the attackers have been killed and insists the fighters are Ukrainian. But Kiev has denied involvement, and two Russian paramilitary groups have said they were behind the incursion. Monday's raid appears to have been the largest cross border incursion since Russia's full scale invasion. It led Moscow to declare a counter-terror operation in Belgorod, giving the authorities their special powers to clamp down on communications and people's movements. The measures were lifted on Tuesday afternoon. Russia's defense ministry said a unit of the Ukrainian nationalist formation invaded its territory and were responsible for heavy shelling on the Kazinka checkpoint at the Grevoronsky district in the Belgorod region on Monday. In a statement published on Telegram on Tuesday, the ministry said 70 Ukrainian terrorists had been killed. And the rest of the fighters had now been driven back to the Ukrainian border. But Ukrainian officials said those behind the incident were from groups called the Liberty of Russia Legion and Russian Volunteer Corps. There is video of this. I don't speak Russian, so I don't know for sure. But there is a video of individuals that it it, that uh, I believe this is the article that um, from the Daily Mail, the video shows men claiming to be Russian fighting for Russia. Yes, we have it right here. So I'll just show you. Now, I don't speak Russian, so I don't know for sure. I don't know who these guys are. I don't know if they're Russian. They're wearing, you can clearly see the Ukrainian patches, although I think someone's got one upside down. Maybe they meant West Virginia. Go WVU. I use the same colors, huh? And this is a man saying that uh, in, a per- in Russia, a person's life means less than an official's wallet. A separate wa- railway is being laid to the residence of the bunker grandfather. I don't know what they're, what they're trying to say. Maybe this is legit. Maybe it's not. It's the fog of war. We don't know. That's the scary reality. Now, Moscow says they've driven them back. And that could be a good thing. That can be the news we're hoping to hear, because the last thing that we want is an escalation to the use of nuclear weapons. But I do think it's fair to say World War Three is upon us. It's not the first time someone has said this. I believe the pope even said it. But when Russia is being invaded in any fashion, do you think it ends with them just saying, oh, gee, golly, please don't do it again? Or do you think this now goes to a much darker place? With the with the I, I wonder when China makes their move, because I kind of feel like China right now is taking a look at all this and their attitude is kind of like if Russia can cause enough disruption and drain enough of their resources, we move on Taiwan. I think they're kind of biding their time. They're watching Russia and the West fight and they're like, we don't need Russia to win. We need Russia to just shake them up a little bit. I think if Russia uses a nuke, China slams Taiwan instantly. Because the moment Russia fires any kind of nuclear weapon, low yield nuclear artillery, it's going to tangle the West up. And China's going to have a very, very, very good opportunity. Because that's it. If Russia uses a nuke, 100% of the attention of the West will be on Russia and Ukraine, period. The whole world will shift their focus. And China has already had its eyes on moving into Taiwan. They've already been making some attempts, flying overhead, launching missiles surrounding the small island nation, which is originally the real Republic of China. What happens then? If the U.S. can't defend Taiwan, then the U.S.'s allies in Southeast Asia will be rattled and worried. Japan's been building its military for the first time since World War II. It seems like everyone's gearing up for a major fight. And I'm not surprised. After World War II, the world changed. There was a world order that was new. They called it the Liberal Economic Order. Read the CFR website, they talk about it. They say this new world order was formed to stop a World War III from happening. If another world war happens, the world will be transformed greatly. I believe that if World War III does occur, afterwards, you will have a one world government because you will have the complete rapid transformation of all of these different governments around the world. And someone's going to win a nuclear conflict, which will devastate the planet. And it will result in the dominant force saying, you will all do as we say. And you know what? I think people will lay down. They will say the world nearly ended. We will not allow it. That's how they felt with World War II. But we did not have the massive amount of power that we have now, not just with nuclear weapons, but with cyber warfare. They can take out power grids, killing millions in days. If the power shuts down, it gets bad, and it gets bad fast. We as a people of the world are propped up by our technology. And if it's stripped from us, it's not that we're incapable of survival, it's that we're ill-adapted to it based on the tools that we've developed. So if all of our food spoils, and we no longer have cellar storages, if we no longer have animals to eat because we've become reliant on mass farming, the power goes out, it's abrupt shock, and people die. That's what I fear. And I fear that the use of nuclear weapons would escalate it to a point where, man, if Russia uses a nuke, don't be surprised if the U.S. reinstates the draft. And it may sound extreme, but I mean it. And they'll come out and they will say, The world is on the brink of annihilation. Nuclear weapons are being launched. It's now or never. But how many people in this country are willing to fight for a woke corporate empire? Not that many. And therein lies the big challenge for the U.S. It could just mean the crumbling of the U.S. empire. Fine. I don't know for sure. It's just one moment. A flash in the pan, but significant. Will Russia escalate following the incursion into Belgorod? We'll see. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. We face many difficult questions when it comes to people who are terminally ill and suffering. In this story from Metro.co.uk, we have a Victoria's Secret model filming her final meeting with terminally ill grandmother before she is euthanized. And I see a lot of people who are very angry about this. They say, it is getting crazy out there. I don't completely uh, disagree. But I do think there's a distinction between someone who is, you know, 70 some odd years old and terminally ill and literally dying and saying, let's just put an end to it now. I'm not in favor of it. I'm I'm not. But I do understand there's a big distinction between, you know, rounding up a bunch of homeless people and prescribing death to them as they're actually doing, like they're they're planning on doing this. Or I should say that's actually where the narrative is going. Let's let's keep it light sort it down. And I'll show you the video on this. There's a video of a man. Who's about to be evicted from his home, and it was posted. It was posted by Head. He's like, I don't want to die, but uh, you know, I guess if that's what they're doing, and that's where we're headed. Now, I think there's an interesting philosophical discussion around when we put someone out of their misery if we cannot save them. The problem is the, with this euthanasia stuff. When it comes to elderly individuals or people who are terminally ill, do we open the door to saying, "Well, there's a ninety percent chance they die"? So why not just let them die? If there's an individual who is terminally ill, but there is an experimental procedure, if we if we are of the mind that we will always strive to save lives, then we will develop better technologies towards saving lives and take those risks even if they don't play out. But if we open the door and say you can just be euthanized, then the economic incentive will be instead of trying to develop cures, just end their life. You see what I'm saying? I think in terms of, of medical advancement, We must not allow euthanasia. But I do think there is a big difference, again, between prescribing death to the homeless and having an elderly person dying say they'd like to just be done with it. Not that I agree with it. Here's the story from Metro. They say, over the past few days, 33-year-old Allie has been sharing powerful videos on social media in which her grandma, who is terminally ill with cancer, answers questions about her decision to seek euthanasia. In a video posted on TikTok on Friday, May 19th, Allie, who's based in Texas, said that the next day would be the last time she ever saw her grandmother, who flew to Canada on Saturday, meaning the videos the Runway Star shared with her fans were some of their last moments together. In one of her most recent Instagram videos, Allie asked her grand a range of questions about her decision to seek assisted suicide, from the ins and outs of the procedure to whether she'd prefer to have it carried out at home or in the hospital. Allie captioned her post I will treasure this conversation forever. To be honest, I was very resistant to euthanasia before she told me her decision. It felt unethical to me, but I've had my mind changed after hearing her reasons, and I'm so happy that she has the option available in Canada. Is this an American woman doing this? Because that's that's kind of freaky if that's true. How to live well and die well are codes, and she has given me the knowledge on both to the goat. The model was inundated with support with one person writing beneath the clip. Thanks for sharing this. I've never seen anything like this before. She's an amazing woman. Lots of love. Another added. Thank you for sharing. Sharing. Such a vulnerable experience to open up this conversation, sending love to you and your family. All right. Let me tell you exactly why I say no to this. She had tweeted, uh, tweeted this out. I personally think we don't talk enough about how evil and dystopian Canada's medical assistance in dying program is. She posted an image of a young woman saying things my parents have had to come to terms with their child choosing medical assistance in dying. Well, it says medical assistance, in. we assume it then says dying. She says anyone who supports this is my enemy and is going straight to hell. Here's one article that I talked about the other day. One third of Canadians fine with prescribing assisted suicide for homelessness. Then we have Paralympian claims Canada offered to euthanize her when she asked for a stairlift. Jeez, you see where this is going. When you have such, a, such severe treatment-resistant depression, That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. And then this video, I'd like to play for you this video and have you listen. Amir Farsud has applied for medically assisted dying known as MAID. He lives in constant agony due to a back injury, but has started the process for end of life because his rooming house is up for sale and he can't find anywhere else to live that he can afford. He barely survives on Ontario disability support payments, which are just over $1,200 a month. He doesn't want to die, but being homeless is not an option. I know in my present health condition, I wouldn't survive it anyway. Farsud meets the criteria for MAID, physical suffering due to disability that cannot be relieved. His doctor, who knows Farsud's real reason for MAID is his fear of being homeless, signed off on the application in August. Farsud needs a second to do the same. There's a 90 day waiting period. He believes he could potentially access MAID in about a month. I don't wish to be dead, Um, even with the pain, even with the meds, um, I still want to be here. Yeah, he still wants to be here, but he doesn't want to be homeless, so they've decided he'll just die. Well, he still needs one more doctor to sign off. There are very interesting challenges that we face. I have this uh, story from Beta Bay News the headlines all we need. It's a pay subscription article, but it says medical aid and dying bill on the way to Delaware house floor from this is from May 17th, 2023. We are knocking at the door to medical assistance in dying suicide booths, effectively in this country. And so there's a lot of questions. The reason why I say no to the elderly flying to Canada to do this is that it opens the door to a lot of bad things. To reiterate, just To make sure I get the point across, and you probably get it, but the the capitalist economic incentive of not allowing people to die means that we advance technologies. We say it's very expensive to try and save this person, but we're going to do it anyway. And then we succeed sometimes. We develop new techniques and procedures that save lives, and we reduce death. If we invert the cost-benefit ratio by saying, if people want to die, so be it. We then say, well, look. It's way cheaper to let the person die than it is to, say, give them money for a place to live. This is the question I have for everybody. With this, uh, this man that I just showed from the tweet from Shuanhead, who would prefer to be dead than be homeless, an interesting question arises. Would you be willing to pay money to home a homeless person if that meant it would keep them alive? I don't think most people would. I think when presented with reality, we end up in a limbo, which is a lot worse. People who are mentally ill or physically injured to the point where they can't support themselves, individuals who don't want to pay the bills to fund these people's life. And then other people who just say, get rid of them. What do we do? Do we set aside tax dollars to provide free housing for all of these homeless people? And there's a lot of them. Or do we ignore them and let them just live on the street and slowly waste away? You see where that goes? I do not believe euthanizing the poor is appropriate in any respect. That's psychotic, evil, and terrifying. But then we got we to gotta face the facts. Do we just leave them on the streets to die anyway? And therein lies the main challenge. The liberals are probably going to be like, okay, you don't want to pay the bill for the homeless people? There's the suicide booth. But I don't trust them. And I don't trust that they actually have solutions in mind. I think their attitude is just whatever gives us power. And right now you've got a massively exploding homeless population and you've got a left that seems to be okay with killing them because who wants poor people? I guess At the same time they're talking about sterilizing kids and aborting their kids. So I got to tell you, their policies only lead in one direction, lower population. So while many people say that they believe there's a grand conspiracy to reduce population of planet Earth, I think that the reality is it doesn't matter if there is or there isn't. The policies being enacted by the left, by liberals, will result in less human beings, be it the sterilization of children and adults, the abortion of babies, and the medical assistance in dying of anybody, someone who's depressed, someone who's got back pain, someone who's poor, or someone who's old. Now, I've talked about the, 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 the age thing, and I'm like, if you've been alive for 80 years, you can't walk and you're struggling, I understand why you might be like, look, man, I just can't do this anymore. And your life is being artificially prolonged and you're just suffering. OK, the reason I'm not in favor of it simply is because it opens the door to all of this insanity that we're seeing. I am not morally opposed to someone who is dying saying, I just want to die that I that I get. If you know, I, I I think we we give animals more of a mercy than some humans. You see an animal with a broken leg, and they ah, put it out of its misery. And my attitude is like, do you really have to kill the horse because it broke its leg? And well, the reality is yes. So they say. I think I was reading that horses can survive with three legs, but it's just incredibly difficult for them. Their legs never never heal healed properly, and so it's just the horse becomes sickly, and then it lays down, and then there's a lot of problems with that. So we put it out of its misery. What if we're talking about someone who's 78 years old with terminal bone cancer or something? They can't walk. They're in constant pain. They're on a morphine drip nonstop. There are circumstances where I'm like, I wouldn't want to force someone to suffer. The problem is once you give into that, you open the door to all of the evil that comes with it. So I'm sorry. I understand the idea of putting someone out of their misery if they ask for it. And we've seen it in, in 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 movies and shows and throughout history. Someone seriously injured saying, you know, help. But I don't I don't think we do it in this way. I think there's an understanding of certain circumstances and this ain't it. Because they're opening the door to some dark stuff. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. The big news this morning was that Carrie Lake lost her last claim in court. And there's a lot to go through there. But the bigger story coming out of all of this conflict in Arizona is that Arizona has banned electronic voting machines in the twenty twenty four election. And I think that's is a, it's it's a good consolation prize for those that are fans of Kerry Lake that wanted to see more definitive action taken. I think Kerry Lake presented very compelling evidence. I was actually surprised to see that the court said uh, no. Considering they actually showed video of a guy just clicking through a without actually doing any signature verification. Kerry Lake's team says they will appeal, but that's what the judge has said. In the end, it may not have the biggest meaning on the upcoming elections, or I should say uh, quite the inverse. In the end, it may not be that Kerry Lake wins, but that the fight she was engaged in resulted in a major push to change how elections are being handled. Let's read this story from TimCast.com. Arizona lawmakers have banned the use of electronic voting machines in the 2024 election. The legislation, Senate Concurrent Resolution 1037, prohibits counties from using EVMs that contain electronic components that are manufactured, assembled, or tested in foreign nations that pose a threat to the U.S. As the Western Journal reported earlier this year, in Maricopa County, where 60% of the state's voters lives, Dominion Voting Systems technology is used while nearly all other counties use election systems and software, both companies' voting equipment use components that have microchips sourced from China and Taiwan. Back in 2017, the U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security issued a statement clearly designating elections infrastructure as critical infrastructure, which means, which means these electronic systems must have safeguards in place to prevent any attacks which threaten our national security, Arizona Senate Majority Leader Sonny Borelli wrote in a press release. SCR 1037 was passed by both the State House and Senate, but was vetoed by Governor Katie Hobbs. However, the U.S. Constitution gives state legislatures plenary, plenary authority over elections, which means lawmakers have complete power over elections with no limitations. So the legislature will override Hobbs's veto. Citing the governor's veto, Borelli said state lawmakers are exercising our plenary plenary authority to see that no electronic voting systems in the state of Arizona are used as the primary method of conducting, counting, tabulating, or verifying federal elections unless those systems meet necessary standards of protection. Under SCR, Arizona counties may not use electronic voting hardware, software, or components unless three criteria have been met. All components are designed, manufactured, integrated, and and assembled in the U.S. from trusted suppliers using processes accredited by the U.S. Department of Defense. The source code used in any computerized voting machine is made available to the public. Bravo on that count. Let's give a big old shout out to Ian Crossland, who's on Timcast IRL, for constantly calling for such measures. The ballot images and system log files from each tabulator are recorded on a drive that can be written onto once with a clear chain of custody and with contents made available on the Secretary of State's website free of charge within 24 hours after polls close. On Monday, May 22nd, Bradley notified all 15 state counties, as well as all relevant committees and departments, that per SCR 1037, no county will be permitted to use electronic voting systems in the upcoming 2024 elections unless they meet the requirements set forth in the new law. Well, there are some challenges here. I think it's good. I think it's a step in the right direction. Things to pay attention to: Just because the ballots are now on paper does not mean they will they will be counted accurately. You still have mail-in voting. You still have signature verification. In fact, it may be more difficult in some respects to verify signatures if they're not digitally uploaded. You have to find the two pieces of paper. And that being said, my attitude is: If you lose the ballots at the envelope with the and, and the ballots up with with a signature on it, vote don't count. If you cannot verify the signature, vote don't count. That's it. This is all very, very interesting. And I'm wondering what we will see in Arizona in 2024. What are your predictions? Do you think we will see a heavy swing Republican? I wonder. And I wonder if so, how they will actually explain away that phenomenon. I think it's fair to say that by switching to, ma- to paper ballots, you'll likely see a Republican swing simply because Republicans are more likely to be showing up and filling out ballots. But we'll see. I don't know for sure. Maybe it changes nothing. Maybe it just makes things take longer and more confusing. I think if France can do it, and if we did it forever up until recently, I don't see why we cannot do it again. Now, here's where it's it real interesting. Dominion voting expects to fold despite historic payout in Fox News settlement. CEO says company has suffered immeasurable reputational damage after allegations the company's machines stole 2020 election. Now, look, I don't know nothing about no dominions or anything like that. I've not seen their source code. I don't know. I don't care if Dominion did or did not do anything. Whatever. Got nothing to do with it. I think we should get rid of all Dominion voting systems from all elections in general, I don't like the idea of proprietary code used to count our, our elections. I want to know the code. That's why the AZ legislature said the code must be made public so that we can review the code to make sure it does what it does. Now, I'm not accusing Dominion of wrongdoing. I'm just saying the people have a right to see your code. So, my attitude is Dominion, release all of your code so that we can see it. And if you don't, then I don't think we should be using it. I agree with the AZ legislature. I do think, to a certain degree, it is kind of sad that this company is folding, but uh, you know what? Businesses fold all the time. One month after reaching a historic settlement in a defamation case, the head of Dominion Voting Systems, which supplies electronic voting machines, says his company will likely go under because of the reputational damage sustained after the 2020 election. Why is that? I don't understand. Is it because you're, you're, are you saying that many jurisdictions won't use Dominion Voting? Why? Are these jurisdictions of the opinion that you've done something wrong? No, no, serious question, Dominion. Why wouldn't a company? I know. I understand in Arizona, they're saying meet these criteria. So Dominion, just invest in locally sourced parts and manufacturing. You can't. I mean, you would rather have your company go out of business than just set up a factory here in the US to run your business. I call shenanigans. I wonder if this is something else. I don't know exactly what they're doing. But if the, 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 the widespread opinion of the United States is that the 2020 election was the safest election we've ever had, then you've got nothing to worry about. And coming out and saying you're going to go under makes no sense. Now, you may use certain, lose certain clients, like maybe Arizona, or you could just adapt your business model and make your machines here. I don't understand why you wouldn't. Like, even if Dominion was doing bad things behind the scenes, wouldn't they still at least want to exist as a company? I just don't understand. I, I don't. I don't know. Whatever. They say it's just easier for our customers to use something that's not Dominion. John Polos, Dominion CEO, told Time, we just know that our business ultimately goes to zero. Currently, Dominion has six other pending defamation cases against Newsmax, One American News, as well as several allies of former President Donald Trump, including Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Patrick Byrne and Mike Lindell. It basically puts us in a death spiral. And by accusing us of the greatest American crime in history, it turned us, as one of our customers had described, into the most demonized brand in the U.S., Dominion products are used in 28 states. Shortly after the 2020 election, multiple lawsuits were filed, which included testimony from experts who said the voting machines had vulnerabilities, including being connected to the Internet. Multiple people alleged the machines switched votes from Trump to President Biden. I don't care if any of those narratives. I think it's really obvious how Biden ended up winning 2020. And I think too many people don't want to accept the reality because It's easier to say we are on the right side of history. We're the silent majority instead of we lost. We lost. I voted for Trump. Here's how you win. Remember that Time magazine article, the shadow campaign to save the election? You got to do that. They tell you what they did. And there were people saying Trump will be reinstated in March. No, he's not. That never happened. was never going to happen. Now, here's what you do. Ballot harvesting operations, ballot chasing universal mail-in voting, ground game, on the ground, Scott Pressler style, and you win. Now, to be fair, another thing I think y'all should be doing is paper ballots so that we can easily adjudicate these issues and getting rid of electronic voting systems that have proprietary code. We need to be able to see that code. I think that's all good. I think AZ is doing the right thing and it has nothing to do with Kerry Lake. If Kerry Lake wins or loses, we'll see what happens in appeal. The media is, of course, saying it's over. It's not. They, they already the lower court dismissed this first. It, she appealed. The higher court said yes. It went back to the lower court. Lower court now says no. She's going to appeal again. And I have a feeling Supreme Court might be like, hey, there's a video of them not doing signature verification. We got a problem here. But we'll see. I think irrespective of that, Arizona will do the right thing by bringing in better machines or paper ballots. We'll see how it goes. But this is the kind of thing that needs to be happening across the country right now in states where Republicans control the legislatures. Make it happen. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I'll see you all shortly. So uh, the race-swapped Little Mermaid flopped in China. Possibly the worst 2023 opening, says Postmillennial. The film has earned only $13,000 in Chinese pre-sales. So uh, as many of you know, Ariel... The Little Mermaid was depicted as a white redhead in the cartoons. And then they made a movie where they had a young black woman play Ariel and gave her red hair. And I, I thought this thing was, was weird to begin with, because I'm like, why keep the hair red? If, like, you're going to change the skin color or whatever, just change the hair color too. Who cares? Why, like, force this black woman to have fake red hair? And then everyone, like, all these leftists were like, black people can have red hair too. And I'm like, yeah, my, my point is. If you're going to swap the skin color of the actor like you don't care that much, then who cares about the hair color? And they're like, oh, because the character is described as having red hair or whatever. I'm like, isn't the character described as having fair skin too? Like, come on, come on. Don't play those games with me. I think y'all are racist leftists because you should allow this woman to have her natural hair color. Anyway, here's my question about this before we read the story. Uh, Is China more interested in watching white people? You know, like Chinese people are Chinese. Would they, would they have preferred to have watched a movie where it's about a white protagonist? I guess the answer is yes. Is that if That's the argument. We know this, that when Star Wars was being marketed in China, they took Finn off, the black guy, they took him off the poster, or I think they like shrank, or no, no, they put his helmet on, I think. They put his helmet on. And then I think Black Panther also did poorly. Yo, I think people in China are very, very, very racist against the black people. I think that's the reality. Postmanial says... Disney's new The Little Mermaid film, starring black actress Halle Bailey as the main character Ariel, has a Chinese poster that obscures the character's race as the film is on track to flop in the communist-led country. I mean, look at this. Yep. They don't want you to see. Wow, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. According to comic book resources, the film is likely to be Disney's worst performing Chinese release this year and has only earned 13,000 in pre-sales. In comparison, Cruella, the last Disney live-action uh, adaptation at Chinese theaters, grossed $1.6 million upon opening, and Mulan grossed 307000 in one day of pre-sales and $23 million upon opening. Now, Mulan, I get. That's like, you know, China. Elijah Schaefer says, can you spot the difference? That's crazy. The Chinese poster, you can't see. They race swapped the character. Disney also created alternative marketing for the communist country by releasing a different poster. Then the one in the US, can you spot the difference? Jack Posobiec says, Disney's poster for The Little Mermaid in China speaks for itself. Wow. Human Events, Jack Posobiec tweeted, we have this one. The Little Mermaid China poster, Ariel is blue. Yup. It's not the first time Disney has downplayed a character's race. They say famously the actor, black actor John Boyega, who played Finn, was reduced in prominence in the Chinese poster versus the American poster. Yeah, that's really crazy. Look at this. In the American one you have John Boyega right here. In He's very large and prominent. He's gone in the Chinese poster. They know what they're doing. Yo, they're super racist. According to Variety, in addition to minimizing Boyega, they cut out additional non-white characters entirely from the Chinese poster. According to CNN, Chinese state media denied the change was due to racism in the country. Currently, The Little Mermaid sits at a 71% critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The New York Post preview said despite real actors, CGI, and brand new material, Mermaid is the studio's latest flesh and blood cash grab that's more lifeless than far better two-dimensional painted drawings. Wow. Yikes. The Little Mermaid is one of a few Hollywood films to garner a release in China after the country had cr- uh, cracked down on the U.S. releases during the COVID pandemic. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to play these games with these critics. Yo, everybody hates this movie. Can we just be real about this? Vox.com writes, why does the Little Mermaid remake look so bad? Even these leftists don't like it. The poor, unfortunate remake isn't nearly as visually spectacular as the original Disney classic. Yeah, it's desaturated. They say at the heart of Disney's original, The Little Mermaid, is a question about our own existence. How can a world that makes such wonderful things, gadgets, gizmos, who's-its, and what's-its be bad? At the heart of Disney's 2023 live-action remake of The Little Mermaid is one possible answer. By taking beloved things and making them slightly worse. The Little Mermaid... Is it a total dud? After all, it's hard to muck up the original story of a mermaid, a mermaid, the man she falls in love with, the world she wants to escape, the conniving sea witch who gets her out, and the lesson to never give up your voice for love. And in, like, the real story, Ariel dies and turns to foam. Ellie Bailey as Ariel turns in a stunning vocal performance. And David digs his voiceover work as Ariel's Jamaican crab sidekick, Sebastian, provides bursts of joy and humor. But aside from those those few facets, the remake mostly stinks. I like how do you do have they shown Sebastian? Because I'm wondering like how you do a lobster talking in this kind of context where they have realistic looking fish and all that. Like I understand the mammalian elements of Lion King, like anthropomorphizing a lion, but how do you do that for a lobster? <laughs> like I don't I don't want to see this movie. Maybe I will when it's free or something. They say. There are additions, three new unremarkable songs, and a forgettable backstory about Prince Eric, oh no, being a naval adventurer. Ursula gets a little more as well, as screenwriter David Maggie paints her and Triton as feuding siblings, oh lord have mercy, but fails to dive deeper than surface level exposition. The remake's main sin, however, is that it's visually confusing, if not altogether aesthetically unappealing. At times it looks downright awful, Ugh. The original 1989 Little Mermaid is largely recognized as the start of what's known as the Disney Renaissance, the pocket of time from the late 80s to around 1999, in which Disney produced animated features like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, and Hercules. Man, I saw a lot of these. Uh, I remember seeing these movies. I think we saw Lion King in theater. Was that? Did we? I don't know. These movies are the standard for animated feature films. What made The Little Mermaid so revolutionary is that it combined the beauty of hand-drawn animation with the genius of songs of Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Paired together, Ashman and Menken had the supernatural ability to tell you the story of an entire character in a three-minute song. Part of your world gives us everything we need to know about Ariel's free spirit and how she hasn't found happiness she's looking for. Poor, unfortunate souls gives a glimpse of into Ursula's cynical worldview. a character spurned for speaking the ugly truth about how life works. Under the Sea rightly points out that from the perspective of a Jamaican crab, humans just spend their lives working, consuming and wasting. Yeah, come on. I was never a big fan of that because like Under the Sea, dude, you are constantly at threat from predators up here. We're the apex predator. We do too much. We don't even know what's going on half the time. Disney took these magical songs and fused them with an army of talented and perhaps overworked animators who drew millions of bubbles for the movie. You can see that so much care was put into the smallest details. From the way Ursula's whip thin eyebrows sharpen when she gives Ariel the terms of her nefarious deal to how Ariel's face softens and blue eyes go wide when she sees Eric's silhouette to the way Flounder's nose twitches. I also want to point out that like Ariel comes to the like comes up means like basically marries this like the first guy she sees. The original story was about a girl finding her voice. It resonates blah, 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 blah. OK, they say under the sea is the original show stopping spectacle. Dazzling assault of color, but in Marshall's movie, the realism deflates the number. In keeping with accuracy, the ocean isn't as brightly lit, and some of the creatures, like the sea turtles, look almost dull marching. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, it's all desaturated. The cartoon was glowy and pretty with colors. Poor unfortunate souls, Ursula's seductive brassy number, is undercut by the same lack of visual thoughtfulness. The original pays special attention to the character's lips, teeth, and her heft to give the song and character unflinching menace. In Marshall's recreation, McCarthy sounds grand, but her CGI'd and body is almost flimsy. There's no spookiness, no slither. It doesn't help that the scale of her hair, uh, of her layer, sorry, seems to shift with the beat of the song, blah, blah, blah. Look, they made garbage. That's what they did. They made garbage. And you know what they do? They do spectacle to try and get the sales. They say, oh, look who we got to play Ariel. Why? Why not just have someone who looks like Ariel play Ariel? Perhaps the most distracting element of the new Little Mermaid is how everyone looks wet. Amazing. When Ariel and Triton come to the surface, their wet hair lies dead on their faces. Triton's sloppy beard flops against his dull abalone armor in the saddest ways. When they hit the surface, the merfolk lacks a sense of majesty. Which again seems to be Marshall's insistence on hyper-realism. Saltwater drenched hair isn't beautiful in real life. Mermaids aren't beautiful in real life. Nobody wants that. A fish body? Fish don't smell good. You ever walk past the fish market? Come on. Let's be real. They tried to do so much, and none of these live action remakes are anything of substance. Aladdin was terrible. This one's even worse. I don't really care all that much about the race swapping, but I think it was a gimmick. I think they were trying to make some buzz, and they were like, let's go for a character who doesn't look like Ariel. And you know what? Now you flop in China. It's not my fault Chinese people are racist. I think they're, 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 that's ignorant, okay? That's just the way it is. But they're very, very racist. So if you want to play these games, get woke, go broke, okay? You want to make a movie with a black character? That's fantastic. Please do so. We could use more diversity on screen. And I, and I, I mean that literally. I, I think it's fantastic to have representation on film. What I don't think works is when you take existing characters and make a white character black. Not only is it insulting, in my opinion, to what diversity is supposed to really represent, a broad range of views, perspectives, and people— you're giving a hand-me-down character. You're ruining the old character, changing it for some vapid political garbage. I just think the whole thing is, look, it's you get won't go broke. But in the reality of this, I think they were trying to run a gimmick to sell tickets and it didn't work. They made garbage and nobody wants to watch it now. How about you make movies that just have new characters? I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast IRL. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then.